Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In the age of online retail, buying a car should be no different. That's why Carvana invented a brand new way to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made a purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door. Or you can pick it up from one of their coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy ensuring you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check out the nation's fastest-growing auto retailer at Carvana.com. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa Online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Sweaties and welcome to Giant Size Heroes number 13. It is the end of July slash the beginning of August, depending on when you're listening to this. And I am very excited because my boy Spider-Man just crossed a billion dollars. We're going to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff. This is just like business as usual is so mind-blowing. A billion dollars. I want to – ready for me to blow your mind a little bit more? Yeah. This year, just 2019, it is July – Marvel films have made over $5 billion. Disney films? Marvel films. Just Marvel? Captain Marvel, over a billion. Endgame, $3 billion. Spider-Man, $1 billion. $5 billion. Not Disney, Marvel. I'm, I was not ready to know I that just now. I had to point That's... that out. I realized that the other day because it is business as usual. Every single Marvel film this year has cleared a billion and Endgame cleared three, which means $5 billion. That is... Three billion? It's like it's it's two hundred million. What was the dang record? It's two hundred million shy of three billion, but the others made over two hundred million more, so they're over five billion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are real numbers <laughs> with a B. Let me, get, let me get the final tally for you. I did it in my head, so I don't have the actual numbers in front of me. But five billion just Marvel, uh, whereas Disney's <laughs> last nine live action quotes remakes of their movies have already cleared seven billion. Oh. So, like, dis- I'm just waiting for the, the mouse on the dollar bill because it's just inevitable at this point. Uh, let's see if I can find it in the end. Are you so, spending uh, your Mickey bucks here? That, that is, that is the, the story I wanted to kick off with because holy crap. Um, but let's see. Endgame has made – do-do-do. Bear with me, internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2800000000 Wow. So it is $200 million shy of $3 billion, and the overage on Captain Marvel is enough that they've made five. Oh, my God. With a B. I hope I hope just once because Kevin Feige doesn't seem like the type to do this, but I hope just once he gets to Scrooge McDuck into a big pile of money. <laughs> he seems very humble, but I hope behind closed doors, just once, five billion dollars. Uh, now this week we are going to dive into some interviews we got from Comic Con that are starting to come to light. Uh, the first of which is Marcus and McFeely talked about their love of Superman, which made me very happy because I don't believe in the Bloods and Crips nature of Marvel and DC. I think oh, we yeah, all like yeah. comics. Uh, and some of the quotes they said were great, and they compared them to like their take on Captain America, how they want a more earnest one, uh, how they think that that Superman's the way to go, not you know one who murders. Uh, Amy, what do you think? I'm uh, quietly nodding. Uh, I do. Like, I love 
Okay, so the, the big miracle of Captain America in the modern MCU is that they actually put him across without needing to go edgy with it. And I will be grateful for that until the day I die mm-hmm. uh, because they actually got that, like, a sincere, earnest, but not terrifying and jingoistic version of Captain America got realized in front of our eyes on film. So, yeah, I would absolutely trust these guys with Superman because they do have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to be said for different styles of superheroing and the grittier ones and the edgier ones and the antihero ones, but that doesn't need to be applied to certain characters uh, for them to be interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I obviously love this. I think Batman doesn't work as well if they're both brooding. Uh, so I, I personally would love to see their take on Superman. And I also... Uh, the next news story is a little selfish. Did you click on that link, Amy Uh Have you have you uh, looked through yet? I so <laughs> tell me about this interview. <laughs> So for the first time in my life, uh, I tend to not go for scoops as a journalist. I, I like having conversations and also selfishly I tend to ask the things that I want to know. And I don't want them to say something that's going to get them in trouble. Like it makes me uncomfortable. So I rarely get news sourced. But I was going through the rundown this week and I went on <laughs> CBR and comicbook.com and a bunch of sites that I usually go to. And there was my video <laughs> of me with Marcus and McFeely for the first time. Uh, so it was very cool to see my interview bring some news out and it was very flattering to be on a bunch of news sites that I in fact visit and I didn't know them before. I literally was rounding up the news this week and saw myself. Uh, so that was really cool. Yeah, I wasn't sure why you were asking that where I was just like, why are we excited? Because it's about the X-Men and I was like, oh, oh, right, yeah, the obvious. This is the um, one. No, don't forget the narcissist in the room. Toy hey. crimes. Narcissist. <laughs> That's not technically illegal. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Another four years. Anyway, uh, actually, no, it'll be more legal. I'm yeah, not going it'll political. Be it'll be mandatory. <laughs> but, Coy, but Marcus tell and McFeely. Us about this conversation. So I sat down with Marcus and McFeely, and that in itself was insane. And uh, we had a great banter about the future of Marvel as fans because they aren't necessarily involved or not. I know nothing more than you guys do, but it was cool to be like, what do you as a comic viewer want to see on screen? So they said that X Men should take a break. They should give it some time to settle. They'd love to see Silver Surfer. We talked about some Silver Surfer casting. We talked about why we love the Surfer. Uh, I talked to uh, Mark about how much he loves MODOK and how much he wants to see MODOK on screen and he <laughs> thinks Moon Knight and MODOK are the next things he wants to write if he did. Uh, and then at the end, I did basically a a would you rather, but I destroyed canon. So Perry <laughs> does would you rather for actors and I did would you rather get rid of this storyline or this storyline mm-hmm. with a bunch of canon and that was a blast because it's Marcus and McFeely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end, they revealed to me and they've never revealed this before. I couldn't find it anywhere else. Endgame is actually based on a comic, loosely. There is a single Avengers comic involving time travel and Wasp falling asleep on a machine and setting them back in time, much like the rat in Endgame. So I was I was very flattered to be like, hey, thanks for telling me that because I didn't know before. Uh, and they're great. They're lovely guys. So it's I was, so lovely to have those those pieces of what's obviously a big complicated puzzle. Yeah. I mean like, it's like 500 comics go into it, but to know that there's one that like makes them think of their script is really cool. Yeah. So they were great. Uh, we had a great like half-hour conversation. Uh, so we got to talk to Scott Snyder about his psycho- uh, psychological perspective on Batman and why he likes to write different Batman. Um, and these are all going up on Collider.com, right? All of them are on Collider right now. Uh, the last one just went up. So Collider.com, if you look into the interviews, uh, yeah, boy, it was my first Collider.com piece was was Marcus and McFeely. So uh, there's some stuff on there. So their comments also included the fact that they thought uh, you should take a break before you bring the X-Men in mm-hmm. um, and that they think Silver Silver rules. And they also told me that they realized the through line, because this has been vexing me forever. This is something we've talked about. I love 
love that Cap gets selfish as Iron Man gets selfless and all the while Thor is trying to find himself. Mm -hmm. I've always thought that was fascinating. I've always been like, when did they think of that? They realized accidentally during Civil War that the direction that each of the characters was taking was counter to the direction in the beginning of their arcs. So they decided two movies in advance to start shaping them that way directly. So the center of the X is Civil War, and that's where they start to – which I think is beautiful. So it's a really – I'm really proud of the interview. Uh, check it out on Collider.com. also got to talk to Joe Hill about his dad uh, putting the – His green, dad is Stephen King. His dad, Stephen King, uh, putting the Green Goblin logo on the front of Maximum Overdrive and like his comic book lore. He also thought I was a very nerdy nerd for knowing that his dad wrote a single page in a charity X-Men comic. But I think that's <laughs> common knowledge. I, I thought forgotten. everyone knew. I had forgotten. He was like – I said, I'm like, yeah, and your dad's X-Men comic. You know the charity one? He went – and like full of gas, like what? <laughs> uh, that's a deep cut. So uh, yeah, they're all online, and I'm very proud of them. But moral of the story: Marcus McFeely maybe uh, would take a Superman if given the chance, and thinks the X Men should chill out a bit. Whew, many words. Uh, <laughs> next up, we already talked about the five billion dollars mm-hmm. that Marvel has made, and Spider Man crossing the billion, which means officially Marvel and Sony are teaming up for Spider-Man 3. That was the uh, the legalese I heard, was there was a chance that Sony wanted to reclaim the rights to Spider-Man completely if the movie didn't cross a billion. Uh, there was some, oh, I uh, missed this. There was some like handshake uh, situation where if it didn't clear a billion, they were going to have full rights back. But in my opinion, Sony is only benefiting and every turn by having Marvel shepherd anything. So there was a rumor like two weeks ago when Spider-Man first came out that was like, mm, doesn't make enough money. I'm like, guys, Sony wants this maybe more than Marvel. Uh, so it's really interesting. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I had missed that rumor cycle. Yeah. Uh, I am very curious, as you uh, alluded to earlier on the show, uh, we don't have a date for the next Spidey yet. Um, or maybe you didn't, but you were talking about all the movies that will happen in 2023. That I think deal Spidey's with the snap. 2023. Um, yeah, I, I would expect Spider-Man Phase 5, but I, I just don't know. The future of that business relationship is so murky. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we all want to see lots, lots more of Tom Holland as Spidey. But, uh, yeah. There's a lot of complications about where that all goes. And, and I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I do know it's very confusing. And But we do have at least Spider-Man 3 left, so that's exciting. Three solo films, three guest stars, four Tom Holland as Spider-Man is... I think where they're going to land with it. And maybe they'll re-up it. Maybe we'll get an announcement soon. But until then, I think 2023, Spider-Man 3. Uh, And also an interesting quote from Rachel Weisz saying that multiple characters will be going by Black Widow in the film, which to me makes sense. Uh, It is a title. It is a a term. It's like assassin. Like if you're a Black Widow, you're one who does the Black Widowing. That – yes. It it is interesting because we – Codenames in the MCU have been a really interesting subject because they mostly avoid them, even mm. though we all refer to the characters that way anyway. Uh, but I'm very curious to see how they'll develop this. It's a it's a completely natural uh, reference to make. Uh, the Marvel Knights storyline I was recommending the other week is all about there being another Black Widow, uh, Yelena Belova. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there we've always had versions of this mythology where she's not – where uh, Natasha isn't the only product of the Red Room. Mm-hmm. That is very standard. Like she was made by a spy program. She's not one of a kind like Cap. That means right. there are more. They're just not her. Uh, so that's that's built in in that way. Um, now the, calling all of the others Black Widow is I think not something I've seen done a lot. But uh, it, it's it's basically just blending those two like another Black Widow and a bunch more products of the Red Room. That makes sense to me. Yeah. It's like uh, 007 is a call name. His name isn't. 007. And and that's what we're getting uh with the next film is is apparently our our own uh 
Monica Rambeau's mom. Oh, what is what is Monica Rambeau's mom name in Captain Marvel? Maria. Uh, Maria. Yeah. Maria Rambeau is going to be our new 007 because it's a code name, not a person. So I'm very <laughs> excited about that in the new Bond movie. But I think Black Widow's the same, and especially with covert ops code names. So I'm I'm really excited to see uh, Natasha. Also, Rachel Vice being like, I'm Black Widow. That's cool. Yes. It's just neat. It's awesome. I can't wait for this movie. The footage is incredible. I, I really hope the footage comes out soon because it was way more finished than I ever expected. They've only been shooting for 29 days, oh, and the footage so is cool. gorgeous. Uh, and I still maintain Taskmaster is uh, Yolanda. Uh, Eternals, speaking of footage, there is a rumor, and a very cool rumor, that Eternals is going to be partly shot on film. I love film. I love the look of film. I love the depth. I love the different saturations. I love how a movie feels when it's on film. And that would certainly separate Eternals from the other movies. And a lot of the Phase 1 qualms many people had were that they look cheap. This would separate that. This is truly going to be a film, uh, which is another great step towards, like, you know, the festival circuit Joker flavor we're going through now. I love that these movies are maturing, and it's only been 11 years, so that's that's really exciting. What do you think about the film? I love this idea. I don't know how it works with the level of effects wizardry that we are accustomed to seeing with Marvel, but there are obviously a lot of ways to accomplish special effects, Mm -hmm. as over a century of filmmaking has shown us. Uh, So I I hope this is true, just because I think that's really cool, Mm -hmm. Uh, but if not, I mean, I can't say that I'm one of those people who has particularly detected the cheapness of the visuals, so I'm probably going to be just fine if they do it the way they do other things, because Marvel movies are very beautiful and increasingly beautiful to mm-hmm. me. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'd love to see filmmakers borrowing each other's tools. Like, if this works, I'd love to see it rub off on others. I'd love to see other people use that crazy lighting rig that Taika and his buddy <laughs> came up with for, yeah. for Ragnarok. Uh, there's... I, I like that they're inventing all this stuff as they go, but as someone who does have a bias, like as a as a theater person, as a, a old school actor, uh, I like when people get to be in the room with the stuff they're interacting with, which seems a little more necessary on film. So yeah, kind of cool. I think it'll it'll be shot on film, processed digitally, and then either exported to film in some theaters and then digital in other theaters. So I, I'm really curious. I agree about some of those transfers and how they maintain the integrity and and the shots they have to do digitally for space reasons or or you know, special reasons, special effects reasons. They could um, just shoot it on film in space. Let's go. Let's, let's do, do this. it. Like Fast 10. Sky's the limit. I think no, Fast 10's going to be in space. Past the sky's the limit. Uh, we also have a the first correspondence between Wesley Snipes and Maharshala Ali publicly, both basically saying, hey, man, you're cool. <laughs> And I really liked this exchange publicly of them just, like, respecting each other. And I also think this is the first time uh, we've seen Wesley Snipes coin the uh, concept of Daywalker click, at least in this in this level. And I love that. And I'd like to think I myself am a member of the Daywalker click. Uh, I love Wesley Snipes' Twitter. If you don't follow him, he is a source of absolute positivity and absolute goodwill towards man. So to see him be like, nah, Mahachal is cool. It was awesome. Oh, man, you got me following The Rock. Now you're going to make me follow Wesley Snipes. Oh, you're not even ready. I'm not you're even not ready. Even ready. Uh, in fact, I tweeted him once, only once, because I'm always afraid. I'm always afraid to be the, the, that guy. Uh, and I thanked him for being such a positive influence on so many people. And I said, uh, if you don't follow Wesley Snipes, you really should. He's a force of positivity and awesomeness and teaches you don't always have to ice skate uphill. And he shared it. And I was so happy that he saw that I knew you don't always have to ice skate uphill. And it made me very happy. <laughs> But yeah, Wesley Snipes is a great force of nature online, and uh, he really cares about the fans. And, and it's a really sweet message. Yeah, you want to read it out? 
Yeah, uh, to all the daywalkers losing their minds right now, chillax, extra letters. Although the news comes as a surprise, it's all good. Such is the business of entertainment. Much peace to the MCU crew, always a fan. Honor and respect to the Grandmaster Stan. Don't know whether that was a planned rhyme or he's just that good. Congratulations and salam to Mahershala Ali, a beautiful and talented artist whose expressions I look forward to experiencing for many years to come. Inshallah, we shall will someday work together. Most importantly to my loyal fans, the incredible outpouring of love is overwhelming. I am grateful for the never-ending support. So not fret, not worry. It's not the end of the story. I'm not going to try to do dialect. That would be a bad idea. Welcome to the Daywalker thing. How cool of a message. Really, really sweet. Hyper-positive, references many things, shows a lot of respect, and also acknowledges he might not have known. And I like that he didn't go like... This is news to me, but I'm happy with it. Like, that's, that's such a good approach to finding out that character is yeah. going to move forward. It, it does seem like you you would imagine that being a conversation that had happened. Yeah. But, like, it seems like it all is going to work out great. And it's just impossible to be mad at Marshall Lee. And that, yeah, who should probably saying, try to commit some crimes because I'm incapable of being mad at him. Quite crimes. <laughs> uh, I think that him saying he wants to work with Marshall is a great testament to what man Wesley is now. Uh, especially since we heard all those negative rumors around Blade 3. I think this is really cool that we we had a, a, a early 2000s take on Wesley that he went to prison. He definitely had... He was like a tax thing. Yeah, but uh, but on the Wesley uh, on the set of Blade 3, apparently he was a nuisance and like uh. wouldn't take his sunglasses off and would only let himself be referred to as Blade and was high all the time and like had some... St- like he'd only communicate with the director through post-it notes according Aww. to people. Uh, Patton Oswalt said like he would only talk to the director by a post-it note, wouldn't acknowledge him as a person. Interesting. So stuff like that would be hard, but if he loves the character and he didn't like the way the movie was going, I'm not saying that's an excuse, but I could see that being frustrating because Blade is such a part of him. So I love that knowing how much he loves Blade, he still believes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and someone handing the you know handing that torch over and doing it justice. So I love this message and like everything it represents. And uh, Wesley Snipes is great. Uh, we also got this one's all you. Uh, what is this heathen feature film? All right. So longtime Heroes watchers are already aware of this book, and that is why you check out the pull list because there is a very <laughs> small publisher called Vault, and they have a book called Heathen, which is basically about like a lady Viking who gets kicked out for being gay and goes on mythological <laughs> adventures. It's great. Yes. Uh, Natasha Alterici uh, writes and illustrates it. Uh, and it's sort of been on and off. Like there are, you know, something fewer than 15 issues of Heathen so far. Um, it's been coming out uh, since 2017 uh, and has been just thriving on the indie side only with the support and dedication of the people who found and sought it out. Uh, and that might pay off now because apparently uh, it may become a feature film directed by Catherine Hardwick. Uh, it is coming from Constantine Film and Prime Universe Films. I don't know those companies. But uh, it's just neat to see an out-of-the-box project like this get the attention of the, the optioning gods. Uh, I hope that that helps to support making more of it. I like to see work like this get found and paid attention to. It is a very – if you've looked at the art, like it is a – very gorgeous dreamlike style that also has a bunch of Viking action in it, obviously. <laughs> and some very funny wolves. Uh, yeah, so this was just neat. Uh, I'm excited to see what they're going to make of this. I like seeing this kind of project uh, breakthrough. I like seeing it covered. And uh, you already know about it if you have been watching Heroes. So good job. And much like the actors in Twilight, do not judge Catherine Hardwick for Twilight alone. I actually think she's a really good director. If you've seen Lords of Dogtown or 13, she's very talented. Uh, Lords of Dogtown could have easily been 
every other cliche skateboarder movie and wasn't. Uh, Lords of Dogtown, I maintain, is one of the best movies about that time, and that time is often covered in film. So check out Catherine Hardwick's other work because she makes some great stuff. Uh, so that excites me because of the combination of her on a Viking feminist tale. That sounds yeah. dope. <laughs> all about it. So, Koi, tell me some things that happened this week. These next couple are, are all you. I watched a couple shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is a time when I have to make time to watch all the superhero content that's out. And it's not just like, oh, man, X-Men's coming out in six months. What do I do until the next X-Men movie? No, no. This week alone, The Boys and Pennyworth both dropped on TV. What? (laughs) What? It's insane. Uh, The Boys is the comic. And it is more the comic than I would have expected. Mm. I kept hearing it was the comic, but you always there's always the You're comic like, fan. Surely asterisk. Yeah, the comic fan's always like, mm, what do you think the comic is? Because I know the comic. Like, no matter how evolved the comic industry gets, we at our hearts are still kids of the 90s going, like, you don't know how to make this. They made it. <laughs> uh, the moment where Wee Huey loses his lady is one of the most graphic moments in a comic that I can remember from that time frame. And oh man, does it translate on the show. And oh man, does it break your heart. Because that moment needs to be heartbreaking for you to understand everything Huey does after. Mm. And you do. Uh, it is intense. It is graphic. It. The boys came out before we were fully invested in superheroes as like the entity they are now, where it was a more novel idea of like, what if they're bad guys? So it's cool to see it translated to where it feels still, still feels novel. Uh, it still feels like this crazy concept that Superman's like messing stuff up. It still feels crazy that Aquaman's kind of a dick. Uh, so it's it's a really dark, depraved show. And if you're a fan of the book, you're a fan of the comic. Uh, I mean, you know what you know what words I meant to say. Um, <laughs> it is interesting because it's not the first comic uh, to take on that, but uh, it is one of the sort of best regarded and one that has garnered the largest following for like that. You know, frank, fairly timeless examination of what if power was abused. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you're already 20 years post-Watchmen when this is written. Uh, the people have been asking versions of this question, uh, which essentially comes down to how do people use and maintain power and what are the responses when it goes wrong. Uh, but I'm really happy to hear that they're uh, – apparently they, they knew what they were trying to make here and I guess uh, it is successful. It captures that rock and roll spirit you'd expect superstars to have if they were superheroes. Mm. And, I, and I feel like they've touched on that in other properties. But this one, it's the through line. Mm. So it's a fun show to watch because you're watching these rock – it's kind of like – Watching Almost Famous, where you were like, wow, these people are kind of douches, but I kind of <laughs> like them. And it's like that, but they're super-powered douches. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting show to, uh, you know, appreciate. And it's also like a lot grittier for the sake of being gritty than I usually like. Um, yeah. Like I don't uh, – we've talked about this. I don't watch content that's malicious in its intent. Uh, like I didn't watch Game of Thrones because it felt like it was malicious for the sake of being mean-spirited. I don't watch uh, – I, yeah, that's that's the best example I can think of right now. Uh, I don't watch cops because sometimes I'm like, why are we framing people so poorly? You're editing out real life situations. Like, what led them to this choice? Those those sort of things. Whereas the boys does a lot of those things, but you're still so excited to be living in this world, you don't notice it as much, or at least I haven't yet. Okay. So it's it's a fun property. Right. Also, the casting of Wee Huey's dad is inspired. Oh, we know who that is now. Yeah, it's yeah, good. Yeah. Simon Pegg <laughs> is so good because it's such a great wink to the comic fans, uh, and it, it's so much fun. Okay, seeing them talk interact. about Pennyworth. How is it? Pennyworth. 
I will completely own, I wasn't planning on watching. Mm. It was a show that I was like, oh, another prequel about a thing. Fool me once, blah, blah, blah. But then Krypton, I like. Mm. And I was really surprised at Grandpa of Superman being an interesting take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Krypton, I have a bias because I know Cameron. So I was mm-hmm. like, maybe I only like it because of the Shakespearean overtones and because of Cameron. Not going to. Okay, fine. I'll give Pennyworth a chance. It's really good. Yay! It's, it's an MI6 British spy drama that happens to have a character named Alfred Pennyworth in it. Uh, and I like that better. Okay. Well, because I, I, I'm not a Gotham fan, and Gotham always feels like, what if we make this show that's insane and happen to have these characters force-fed down your throats from Batman mythos? Mm-hmm. Instead, this is, hey, we have this great idea for a show. Let's make money by calling it a Batman prequel. And that is the best possible case scenario because you – That does not sound good. Oh, no, because you're, you're, the show has to be good for it to work. OK. We're, uh, so for me – and this is shitting on Gotham a little and so I apologize. here's my question about Pennyworth. Uh, the, the big question with this is you making it a swinging 60s prequel that just happens to tie into that can be a great choice or it can be a less inspired choice depending on whether they have found a good answer to why is this Alfred and not Schmalfred Schmennyworth. Uh, like, I, I think I well personally from a business side, Schmelford spinning or if they wouldn't be able to get a budget. Don't answer from a, a business side. That's not what I want to know. From, I want to know whether they creatively found the answer to that question. From a fan side, the answer to me is we've always wondered why Alfred is such a badass. We've always had allusions to his history. Mm-hmm. This spells all those out in awesome MI sixty British spy ways while also not being James Bond. And I love that James Bond gives you a taste of that world, but it's he's, he's a superhero in his own right. Alfred's very real and he can get hurt. And so I really like that they've built a spy world that you feel like you're invested in the people. Cool. And he's Alfred. Okay. So business and fan, both satisfied. Excellent. Uh, And like Kingsman, the new Kingsman trailer, Mm -hmm. you don't realize it's a Kingsman movie until the last shot. Mm. For me, Alfred feels like that. So if I introduced it poorly in the beginning, it's that in a good way. No, I like that. That was my, like, I wanted to hear that version of the answer, and I am extremely satisfied. And I'm excited to watch this show. Thomas Wayne is is so charming, and Alfred is impossibly charming and charismatic. Their dynamic is great. The action of the show is so good. I'm a monster, and I I live on my phone. I only picked up my phone three times in the hour and 15 minute runtime. Oh uh, so that is my litmus test. Number of phone pickups. That new coin crimes. Only, I live on like and I, I admittedly like most shows I watch I'm on my phone. Not This Is Us because I'm too busy crying. But most shows I'm like distracted in social media because I don't have time otherwise. Mm. I only picked up my phone three times and it's an hour and 15 minute pilot and the whole time I was enthralled. Oh, it's wonderful. a very good show. Yay. And I haven't I mean I, I didn't Epics, thank you. I never thought of Epics. Uh, thank you for making me notice your network, and this was a great thing because I'm the target audience and I'm fully there. Uh, so it's a real good show. That's fantastic. I am really looking forward to watching that, so I'll have my own thoughts at some point. But uh, Pennyworth, put it on your list. 100%. And I actually – I would put it high in your list. It's it's damn near must-watch TV. That's so, so cool. It's funny. It's dramatic. In the pilot, you care about six characters, and that's so hard to do in an hour yeah. to really be invested in a, in a show that's long form. In movies, an hour is most of your runtime. In a show, usually you have to get to episode two or three to really be invested. I care about so many people in one hour. Aww. It's real good. Uh, so speaking of television, mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier Win- – I am failing at speaking today. The Winter Soldier uh, is going to revolve around the government not wanting Sam as Cap. Now, do we know – what's uh, break this down for us. Uh, what's the source on this? The source is – let me pull it up. Uh, well, I should say while I'm pulling up the source, 
Uh, the comic run is exactly this. The comic run that just ended uh, like a year ago was the storyline of that whole world. Uh, I believe this was mentioned because it was mentioned on Fat Man on Batman or sorry, Fat Man Beyond, which is the new name of Kevin Smith's and Mark Bernardin's show. And Mark Bernardin said it. I don't know Mark's source, but I trust Mark. OK. I was trying to find if Mark said who his record. source was. Yeah, he was friend of the show, uh, past Heroes guest, all-around cool dude, Mark Bernardin, uh, has said that his understanding is that this is what they are going to deal with in the show. And I trust him. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a great take. I think it's very topical. I think that I think that if you don't realize comics are political, you're reading poorly. Um, so I think now is the time with everything that's going on to use something as all-encompassing as a superhero show to look at the world we're living in. Um, that's kind of what we've always done. Captain America punched Hitler in the face on the front of his comic, so maybe we do something similar with the new Cap. Uh, and I think it's a really good yeah, time yeah. to do something this public with Disney+. Plus. Like, you're, you're debuting a network. You're saying, hey, we've won. We're doing a bunch of victory laps. Now we have more creative control. Here's a problem facing society. Let's address it with superheroes. I, I'm very on board for this, uh, depending on, obviously, how the show comes out. But letting Sam Wilson live in a complicated reality, much like the complicated reality of the world, uh, honestly is just more fair to him as a character. You don't want characters to always, like, so this is a delicate line for me. Like, I love Wonder Woman stories that deal with sexism. Uh, because that is part of the reason she exists is to like help move the world in a good direction. Uh, you don't you don't want there to be a rule where like a character who fits in a category can only ever do stories about that category. You yeah. don't want that either. But there is a lot of fantastic storytelling meat in acknowledging the world we live in and letting it be part of our stories. That is why we tell stories. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this. I really love Sam Wilson. Uh, I love his, like, I I will, his relationship with Cap as brought up in Winter Soldier, I feel like, as, as initiated in Winter Soldier, has, I think, been an unappreciated, underappreciated element of the MCU's storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I really am happy to see these seeds playing out because uh, I think it's going to be great. And I think... People are going to go back and realize how much richness there is in that relationship and in his character. And I'm real excited for him to have some center stage with Bucky. And I think it's stories – I think the importance of telling Sam Wilson as Cap is telling stories that don't work with Chris Evans as Cap. Yeah. I think that's what the strength of having this versatile of a character is and I think it's what the strength of a legacy character is. There are stories that work with Miles that don't work with Peter. There are stories that work with Sam that don't work with Chris. I keep calling him – Chris Evans is Captain America to me to such a level. I keep forgetting Steve Rogers. Name, But that to me is the, the strength of Sam Wilson Cap and that's the strength of the comic. So I'm excited the show is going to take that head on and tell us stories we haven't seen yet. There's a lot of stuff that didn't work. Uh, like Steve Rogers when he betrayed his government was exciting because he's such a soldier boy. I'm excited to see his government betray Sam because mm-hmm. Sam's a soldier. Sam is, is loyal. Sam is all these things. But the world we live in and the world he's living in, I'm excited to see how they handle it. So that, to me, makes that show even more interesting, and it's already at the top of my list. My heart is breaking in advance. It's just preparing us. Speaking of Disney+, Plus, uh, we have a what-if Easter egg. Someone noticed a deep, deep, deep detail within the what-if logo that looks like Captain America is a skull. The question that raises to comic fans is, is that alluding towards a what-if featuring zombie Marvel? Or (laughs) is it alluding to an old man Logan storyline because Red Skull very successfully killed Captain America and wore the shit out of that suit? 
So uh, I could see either of them going that way, especially with What If. And also, how exciting is it we're talking about maybe them adapting either Old Man Logan or Marvel Zombies on What If? Yes. <laughs> um, what do you think? What do you think they're going with? I My first money would say uh, Marvel Zombies. Okay. It, it doesn't quite – like the look is very close to Red Skull. So that I would say that would make it more likely, but – I don't. I don't think Old Man Logan is is in the immediate running here. Now, I think granted, we need I don't Logan ex- first. Yeah, uh, I I don't expect them to do sort of faithful takes on existing alternate universes and what ifs. Mm-hmm. I think they're gonna let all of that stuff be inspiration for the films and make their own what ifs uh, based in the you know more specifically in the MCU. And obviously, there's a lot of really fertile territory with the Red Skull right now because we all know where he ended up, and we have a lot of questions. A lot of questions. We just didn't have time for in six hours of other movies. <laughs> uh, but we have a lot of questions. Uh, so yeah, my money's on zombies. What about you? Uh, my money's also on zombies. I think the more exciting might be Red Skull as Cap because there's a lot more storytelling there. But um, I love that Iron Man gave us all the Marvel zombies I felt like we needed in Spider-Man Far From Home. That moment, I was like, oh, they acknowledge it. It's kind of like the Hail Hydra whisper in Endgame. Mm-hmm. For me, Far From Home, Iron Man zombie was like, they know that they care about Marvel zombies. I don't know how much of a storytelling device that actually is, not in comics. But either one, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for What If. Yep. So I, Anything it is going to be, I'm excited about. I'm also excited that it opens so many possibilities we literally don't know what a skull Captain America might be. <laughs> uh, now, moving over to CW, we had a ton, a ton of trailers drop at San Diego Comic-Con that we did not have time for and still don't have time to talk about because they're literally like six shows, three minutes each, holy crap trailers. But overall thoughts leading up to Crisis is I love that these shows only feel bigger each year Mm -hmm. and I love how invested all the actors are Uh, and I really am excited especially with the way Flash ended I can't wait to see where Flash goes this next Mm -hmm. season Uh, what do you think about the general roundup of all these trailers? I think that I can't believe we forgot to talk last week or I forgot to put on the rundown last week the friggin announcements we're getting that relate to Crisis on Infinite Earths are Earth's shattering. Uh, <laughs> ah, I mean, it's, it's it truly bonkers. So we found out that Brandon Routh is going to be not only coming back as Superman, but he's going to be the Kingdom Come Superman. Am Holy I being trolled? Crap. Is that real? And then Alex Ross drew Brandon Routh as <sighs> Kingdom Come Superman. Like, just sketched it, you know, just made it beautiful art. There's So rumors are flying. Tyler Hecklin's also back. Like, it. It is funny because we've been talking about for years the idea of doing a Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, and what that would mean for TV. And I've always been like, well, they can't really do it, do it, because it's not like they're going to reach through and break the movie universes, which is what you would kind of do. Oh, wait. Except. Brandon frickin' Ralph. And they, to a certain, at least are going to let those possibilities come in. Some of the other rumors we've heard involve even other versions of the DC TV universe uh, from the past that could get involved in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I think that is so beautiful and so cool. If Tom Welling or Michael Rosenbaum show up, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. We're all going to like the somebody saved me music happening in that one episode was enough uh, that last <laughs> crossover. But Michael Rosenbaum is still my favorite Lex Luthor, so I would love if Tom Welling or Michael Rosenbaum just insane. Corey, what if it gets animated for just a couple minutes? What if they break the DC animated universe? If they Spider Verse me and they just change <laughs> what reality can be on TV, that's one of the things I loved about Deadly Classes because every time I'd watch an episode, I'd be like, "You can do this!" Like it <laughs> felt like I was watching Deadly Class. Like you're not allowed. 
loud. I felt like I was like – It's you can't do that on television but as yeah, a show. Yeah. I felt like a 16-year-old that snuck into a liquor store. I was like, oh my god, I'm in here. <laughs> uh, like all of Deadly Class. I was like, I can't believe it. Um, so if they do that on the on the crossover, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, also, Kristen Kruick, totally my childhood crush. So if Lana Lang Aww. shows up, I will swoon anew. She's perfect. Uh, so I, I was very excited to hear about all that crisis stuff. And I'm also very excited. Uh, Brandon Routh's also the coolest. Uh, he was at uh, one of the one of the parties I was at. And he is so excited <laughs> to talk. <laughs> uh, he was so excited what to talk about Kingdom Come is like his favorite. So oh. he's really excited to invest in that Superman. And he seemed like he was like glowing about the honor of it. So it was, it was rad. Brandon Routh's is so cool. Is he old enough? You know, the technology is there to make him old. He's still currently too handsome, and he will always be too handsome. So handsome. So handsome. But I think they can age him properly because of the type of handsome. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited for him, and so is he. Uh, we have a deep cut again here that I don't – I just love learning. So any educated. fabulous news. Okay, so uh, in, in indie comics moving in the direction of adaptation news – uh, chalk up one more for Image Comics of as uh, Rob Guillory or Geary. I'm sorry, Rob. I don't know how to say your name. Uh, who is one of the, the the team behind the comic Chew? Oh, excellent. Um, which was one of the books that I in my for my money Chew put New Image on the map alongside Walking Dead and slightly mm. I think before Walking Dead uh, when it was really caused people to take notice that there was stuff happening at that company that did not fit the profile people had come to expect from them mm-hmm. um, that. Uh, a really unexpected hit. Uh, Chew is a, this uh, wonderful, bizarre comic about a detective who solves crimes by eating bits of the victim. It's a thing. Uh, our, our current storm, Alex Ship, it's her favorite comic in the world. We uh, talked about it on Comic Book Shopping. She is obsessed with Chew, and it was so cute to see her just, like, ramble about how much she loved it. Chew is amazing. That's so wonderful. So I just want you guys to love her more if you don't enough yet. Alex Ship's the best. So John Lehman and Rob uh, have split up and are doing various other, not split up, but like are both working on other cool projects right now. And Rob's is called Farmhand. Uh, and it is about a guy who grows body parts. As you um, do. So they're continuing with their wonderful high concept. Like typically the kind of stuff that we're like, you can only do this because it's comics. Uh, except he is going to be writing a pilot to potentially bring it to TV for AMC. Uh, so I, I just, as the internet is currently fond of saying, you love to see it. Uh, <laughs> I, I love seeing out-of-the-box work get rewarded. I love seeing people get to, if they want to, be involved in the creative process of these adaptations. So that is very exciting to me uh, because obviously – he knows what his book is about and what he wants it to be like and how he intended it. You never know which skills are or aren't going to transfer between mediums. But as Rick Remender on Deadly Class, uh, paving the yeah. way for I made this, I know what it should be, let me be involved in the storytelling, uh, sometimes it can work out. And I'm really excited. So, yeah, it's really early days. He's just in a program with other writers who are working on potential pilots. Uh, but I think it's cool as heck. Get on farmhand. Hell yeah, Image Comics always win in the game. Uh, also in the world of comic comics, the tangible comics, <laughs> we are getting an Adam Strange book from Tom King and Mitch Gerards. Yeah. The Mr. Miracle duo is about to make me love Adam Strange even more. Eisner uh, Watch 20 Future. Yeah, uh, Eisner Watch forever, these two. Uh, also, nicest guys. I, I, this Comic-Con was my favorite for meeting heroes and all of them being cooler than I expected. That's so uh, good. They, they were so the best. Uh, they also just had like a booth where people could, I, I, 
Okay. I had a harder time talking to Tom King about Mr. Miracle than I had a har- than I did with Jake Gyllenhaal about Mr. Miracle. I like, got so more much personally more personally difficult. Yeah. Aww. I got way more starstruck by Tom King. And I Jake Gyllenhaal is my favorite actor in the world, but I definitely was like, he's an actor. I I I get acting. Like I understand. Okay, cool. And there's a certain conversation that happens amongst actors or amongst entertainers that I felt comfortable with Jake. Like sure. instantly Jake and I were in the same wave. Like I also showed him baby pictures of me very quickly. It was very weird. Uh, so I made it weird <laughs> so I'd make it normal. Um, but Tom King is so smart and he's he's worked for the State Department. I don't know how his brain works. So there was that intimidation factor where I was like, I don't know. You're smart me. I'm going to go run. And I just couldn't. Uh, but then later on, I like found him again. I was like, I have to talk to you now because I embarrassed myself earlier. Um, and both him and I Mitch. I did that exact thing with Chris Claremont. You get it. Yeah. It's totally like I'll loop back when I can put my shit together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were both very kind and understanding of mine. Um, and they had a booth like in Artist Alley. And I was like, you guys shouldn't be out in public. <laughs> like I just felt like – you should be in a castle somewhere. Prestigious. Uh, and they were so kind. They talked to every fan. They're so rad. And Adam Strange, the look of Mitch's art is so perfect for it. Yeah. Uh, his first cover they released, and he did it all freehand, like old school mm-hmm. style, and that digital looks amazing. Uh, I can't wait to see what approachability Tom King brings to a character I don't find approachable, just like he did with New Gods. Oh, Adam Strange is great. But I, I'm excited I, for everyone else to also believe that Adam Strange is great. I want and- the translation that is Tom <laughs> King's brain. Yeah. I feel like Tom King, like, thinks Kirby and translates me. Like, he, he like he just makes it accessible. Corey, you've never Zeta Beam to another planet where you get involved in all of their planetary shenanigans? Not off of LSD. Okay. <laughs> Quite crimes. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to understand this world uh, without adulterants. And I think that they are the people to do it, and I do think that it's an Eisner waiting to be polished, and I'm very excited. <laughs> I joke, but congratulations for your very hard work getting rewarded, guys. Yeah, uh, killing it. Keep it up. Speaking of comic books, we've got a dense pull list this week. Yeah, we got uh, into a little bit on the show, but let's start us off. There's actually not a lot of new comics coming out, but all of them are, like, it's a shorter pull. It's a fifth Wednesday. So fifth Wednesdays can be very interesting because, uh, first of all, a lot of people in July are trying to make sure that their books get out for comics. Comic-Con, mm. which can mean that the week or two after Comic-Con, uh, sometimes sometimes the week right after Comic-Con is super big because everybody just barely missed their deadlines. <laughs> um, but it, some years, those couple of weeks are a little bit lighter because if you're launching a book, you want it out in time. If you're doing, you know, uh, and then DC is mostly, uh, they have carved out a tradition now where their books tend to come out four weeks a month. And then on the fifth, they'll do annuals and one shots and other special out of the box stuff. So you'll notice that, uh, all this month, a bunch of issue 75s have been hitting, but I don't think there are any issue 75s this week mm. uh, because it's all annuals and cool, weird stuff because it's a fifth Wednesday. And that's more information than you needed uh, about comics. I do believe they're listening to Giant Size, which is <laughs> for the more information than you needed. Thank you very much. So that little tidbit thing. was the extra. That's a bagler. Do you know what a bagler is? No. That's a French fry in the bottom of the bag you didn't know about because you took the tray out of fries. Oh, my God. There's a word for that. So the potato you scale. You tray like you only ever eat it in and out. I love in out fries. It's I great. like all fries, but I visualize, when I visualize uh-huh. classic fries, they're in a, they're in a tray. That's sure. how I visualize fries. Yeah. So when you take out the tray and those little ones are hiding under the, the napkin, bagglers, and 
That is today's potato scale. The extra bit of news you get from watching Koi and Amy's giant size bagglers. I am legit delighted by this newly acquired <laughs> piece of vocabulary. Uh, just like the extra bonus thing on the fifth Wednesday of the month, like Batman Last Night on Earth number two. Now, we've got to dive into this because I think the Last Night on Earth number one was one of the most advertised books I've seen at DC. Every single issue, I felt like I was reading the first ten pages of Last Night on Earth, which is a good thing because I read it every single goddamn time. <laughs> I, I always, even though I didn't read I was like, this is so good. So that means I've been so excited for number two because I feel like I've read number one my whole life. Uh, <laughs> so I can't wait for this book. Uh, I got to talk to Scott Snyder at Comic-Con about what his perception of Last Night on Earth was. And it was really cool because he took on New 52 and was nervous, obviously. And I think it was Grant Morrison who gave him the advice to have your origin and have your death. So he's known this story from the beginning that he wanted to write, and that's how he got over his nerves. So Court of Owls ends mentally for him here. Like the arc of his Batman is now complete, and this is a story he's been wanting to tell from the beginning. So I'm really excited to hear this take. And he also went in this great monologue about um, the the Batman Who Laughs, which also came out this week, but we only had so much room. The final Batman Who Laughs. He was talking about how it's a world that he fears for his children where heroes only want to win Mm -hmm. and how the psychology of Batman is so important that there's so many different elements of it that winning is a negative for Batman if that's all he cares about. And that's his his Batman who laughs. That's fantastic. Uh, He was talking about uh, on the Year of the Villain panel that I got to to sort of be be at and moderate, which was amazing. Uh, He and the other writers being very modest. She moderated the hell out of a panel with Scott Snyder on it. I'm just going to not let her skirt this. I'm going to not let her skirt it. Uh, Tom Taylor was They spoke about what the stories mean to them uh, personally, which was really, really cool. And uh, Scott was talking a lot about reflecting on sort of the nature of evil as he has kids growing up in, again, this very complicated world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so You're the Villain in part is about like what happens when the bad guys win? What happens uh, – What you know, just trying to get at all those really classic questions of what distinguishes heroes from villains and what you're willing to do and uh, line crossing and believing in something bigger than yourself and Lex as a version of that where it goes wrong. Uh, so it is lovely to know that how deeply people think about these stories that they're putting out into the world. Uh, and uh, I'm very excited to read it. Number two this week. Uh, friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number nine is this Speaking week. Speaking of Tom Taylor. Tom frickin' Taylor. He is so good at the writing and apparently the balancing <laughs> of chairs. Uh, I I haven't read a Tom Taylor book I didn't like, and I didn't realize that until one of our fans, uh, the great It Is David X on Twitter, forgot about Twitter for a second, uh, basically tagged him and was like, you got to come on Heroes. And Tom Taylor was like, sure. And I was like, what? And then <laughs> I was writing back to David, not expecting Tom Taylor to see it, going like, yeah, I would love to talk about X-Men Red, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, Gabby as a whole. Hell, we could just talk about the freaking Wolverine he wrote. His inter- mm. like, I wrote out those things. And I was like, wait, I don't think I've ever disliked a Tom Taylor run. Also, he wants to come on the show, which is insane. But Well, he's being very polite, but we would love to have you. I will accept his politeness for him being my best friend. Uh, <laughs> Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man is my favorite new run of Spider-Man in a while. I'm also loving Nick Spencer's run, but there's something really unique about the Friendly Neighborhood book where you feel like you've known Spider-Man your whole life. And in my case, I feel you like have, that in yeah. life. So the book captures that. It captures that like camaraderie, that feeling, that that neighborhood. And uh, I, this book is so special. Juan Cabal is on art, and I love the art. I d- I'd never seen this artist until this book. Um, people always ask me what my favorite book on the shelves is. I think right now... Now it's Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Oh. It's really impressive. Because Saga's on hiatus. <laughs> Speaking of-
Speaking of which, Brian Vaughn is at us this week with Cliff Chang uh, to cap off a basically, I mean, perfect run. Uh, Their science fiction comic, Paper Girls, ends this week with issue 30. It is 30 issues of the same writer and artist just beautifully executing an incredible, intact, detailed uh, vision that I don't want to ruin any part of by (laughs) describing it too much to you. Uh, But it is one of the most beautiful books I've ever read uh, because Cliff Chang. Uh, and it is deep, and it is thoughtful, and it is about friendship, and it is about uh, growing up, and it has a bunch of fantastic female characters in it, uh, which, obviously, big fan. It starts out as the story of uh, ordinary paper delivery girls in the (laughs) 80s, and it goes to a lot of unexpected places, and it is beautiful, and I hope you have all jumped on at one of the various points where we've put this on our pull list, but if not, just, you know, binge it. Uh, Get caught up and read issue 30, and then you'll have all of Paper Girls. So I'm reading books as I finish an arc, I start a new book. So I finished Saga. Yes. I finished Mr. Miracle, obviously, a while back. Mm -hmm, Now, mm -hmm. Saga's a recent finish, so I'm now on Paper Girls issue 10. Yay! I'm reading Batman White Knight because the new arc starts mm-hmm. this week, so I'm reading one through eight. Uh, I'm reading, I'm at issue 57 of 100 Bullets. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm powering through these classic. That Eduardo Riso art, oh, man. Oh, good God, it's gorgeous. And the book is depraved. I love that book. It's, uh, yep. Makes me feel pretty good about my crimes. <laughs> Uh, so, because they're so much lighter. Uh, so, I, I'm really digging uh, picking up these books while they're ending or while they're starting a new arc because sure. it makes me feel like I'm part of the conversation, but I also get to have a new perspective. So, early thoughts on Paper Girls without spoiling it. Uh, without spoiling it, I keep being surprised, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good take. on like, And it's also way more grounded than Saga, so it's been really cool to see, comparatively. Yeah, uh, right? Comparative, only comparatively. But it's been really cool to see Brian K. Vaughn write characters that are both in environments that are so insane, but with different lenses. Yeah. Is that is that spoiler free? Yeah, that's spoiler free. <laughs> it's been really cool. So I'm on issue 10 of that. I'm going to pick up uh, 11 onward today and keep diving in. Speaking of not grounded, Powers of X <laughs> is... I think we've done really good with our tangents in the comic books today. Uh, Powers of X number one is so dense... So, okay, you're thinking of House of X that came out last week, right? Oh, Unless you yeah. have a preview that I don't know about. No, I totally, you're totally right. No, I, no, uh, but no, this is the segue. We're pu- pulling Powers of X this week to continue <laughs> the overall saga of whatever Jonathan Hickman's doing with the <laughs> X-Men right now, which began last week with House of X. There Coy, it is. Thank resume. you. House of X number one last week was so dense, so intense, so smart. And also still felt like an X-Men book. Uh, Not that X-Men aren't usually those things, but usually it's hard to find a through line with those things in the X-Men because there's usually like six titles that talk about each other but don't correlate or they do. X-Men are hard to keep up with for me. Well, don't worry. There'll be six different ongoings in October. Yep. No, Give it time. I'll be confused again soon. I am not exaggerating. That is the number of ongoing books starting in October and November. Here's the problem. You're going to be excited about all of them. I am prepared to lose my money and my time. But in the meantime, House of X is great. Powers of X is the second book in this 12-issue run? Yeah, six of each. Um, There is... Because it's Hickman, there's a reading order in the back. It's basically just alternate the books. Uh, but uh, it's not Hickman unless there's a map and some graphic design stuff. Uh, but I think issue three, Powers of X, comes first. So I think it's it's okay. one, two, three, four, and then it's like three, three. Like there's... I don't have it in front of me. We'll we'll figure it out together. Yeah, we'll go on this journey of Plus Hickman Internet. translation. I, I um, Early reactions on House of X, uh, I do have to say... 
I'm 100% on board. The book is incredibly beautiful. I am going to read the heck out of this, and I am loving having everyone so involved. And I absolutely sat down and immediately tried to figure out the written language. Uh, I saw your drugs. I'm doing pretty all right, y'all. I got most of the letters. I need to go back and track down some of the other uh, material. But I am surprised. I guess I'm not surprised by this approach, but I have reservations because X-Men is such a – the classic version of an X-Men story is – a metaphor for adolescence writ large uh, that gets into the sort of relatability of this experience of feeling like an outsider. And these books are coming at it from a wildly different... He's chosen to start his vision of the X-Men at the absolute top-down, huge scale, 25 new characters, bunch of unanswered mysteries. It is classic Hickman stuff. Mm -hmm. And Hickman, for me, always delivers in the end. But it is interesting that I am basically on board because of the beautiful art and because of what I know of of trusting his work and not most of the things that I would tell you to start with when you're trying to put X-Men across to people. I 100% agree. None of this feels like X-Men. Also, a weird line where Magneto says you're religions where I was like, is this Magneto not Jewish? Are these even the real X-Men? What's going on? That's the thing is there's so many not X-Men things and it is an X-Men book that doesn't feel like the X-Men but because I trust Hickman, I trust it will feel like the X-Men at yeah, some point. Yeah, I'm still 100% I, in. And it's a fun book. So I, I have the same problem where I'm like, X-Men are underdogs, they look up and this is a character set that looks down and I'm really curious about how that feels later as it develops and that might be the point. I think he's tricking us. Uh, but I'm really enjoying it for what it is. I just, I wouldn't, if you've never read X-Men, I wouldn't say this is the X-Men and I feel like this was supposed <laughs> to be like a jumping on point. I'm like, the, they will be alienated from the X-Men because what? Uh, but it's really beautiful. I'm really enjoying Actually, it. Actually, we should put this out there. Folks, if you check out House of X, tell us how it is for you. If you mm. haven't read X in a while, if you've never read X, uh, if you're willing to take this journey with us, uh, we would love to hear the perspective from someone who does not already have a lifetime of strong opinions on the X-Men. Yeah, I, I, that's <laughs> the other thing I collect next to Spider-Man is X-Men, so it's very alienating to be like, what is going on? But it's fun also to not know things. Also, this might this is not a spoiler because I'm guessing, but there's no way that Charles Xavier isn't Ultimate Fantastic Four's Reed, right? I mean, he looks just like he's got that. the helmet on. I don't. Is know. that too he obvious? Can't be, but like, wouldn't they recognize his chin? But they, I guess in superheroes, they no, they're all psychics. We don't recognize Batman's chin. That's the whole point. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we'll get into that next time as the story develops. Uh, <laughs> our last pull list is one of yours. Yes. Uh, Take a chance on something new this week. Uh, I do not have a preview of this book. I just thought it looked really good. It is called Men Are Black. It is by Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt. Art by Tyler Crook, who, frankly, underrated artist. Uh, Everybody, check out Tyler Crook. Uh, These are the creators of Harrow County and the Sixth Gun. It's a gothic horror fantasy. Uh, It is only a four-part series. It is from Dark Horse Comics. And uh, I just, I'm really excited to jump into it. Uh, it's a it's an intergenerational sorcerer legacy being handed off to an unexpected person. There should be a cool mythology around it, and you know it's going to be beautiful. I'm in. Uh, this week got way bigger than uh, usually the week after Comic-Con <laughs> does. So usually I expect this to be our, our fan question week, so I put like 30. Not 30. There's such good questions, uh, I put a bunch, and then we talked too much. So Well, that's because more news came out than we expected. So yeah. send in more fan questions this week, and next week we're going to carve out, maybe even do it at the beginning. We're going to make sure there's time for fan questions. Now. Like we'll, ma- we'll make it a thing. Uh, but as we wrap out today, I also want to give some love to Marvel's Monster Size. <laughs> uh, Marvel's is a book I've loved forever, and they just reissued it, and there's a Monster Size edition just look up Kurt Busiek's Marvel's monster size. It's the size of his assistant or daughter, whoever that was. It's the size of a human. Uh, it's like a three-foot book, and if I had more money or space, I'd be buying it. And when I got a house, I will. We will um, build houses out of them, Corey. Will, yes. That's, that's the next step. If you work in the comic industry, that may be what your house is. 
It's a stack of Just long boxes. Just a bunch of artist editions of <laughs> long boxes. So uh, that will be in the. Will, I wanted to plug it. It's it's gorgeous. I want it. And also, uh, as I mentioned before, the the Batman Who Laughs is the final issue this week. But before we leave, New York City is naming a street after Stan Lee, and they're going to call it Stan Lee Way, which I love. It's in the Bronx. Stan Lee is a piece of New York and the Avengers and Spider-Man. Like, there's a reason Marvel is so New York-centric, and to me, that's Stan. And Stan is getting a street in real life, and that made me really happy. It's really good chills. Uh, that's, it's really beautiful. It is, you know, we will be talking about Stan Lee's legacy uh, God willing for the rest of our lives and uh, we all have to go there and take pictures with the streets yeah if you, live, if you live in New York please send us photos yeah. of Stanley Way uh, and until next week as always stay, stay sweaty. sweaty Napa know how at Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery it's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around but we might be a little partial anywho pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. There's an underdog story happening today in America. Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback, but in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at smallunites.org.